Today, as we draw near to the end of our sermon series through the Psalms, we only have one week left. And then after that, believe it or not, we will be in, in the church world, what we call the Advent season. We'll be beginning soon, in two weeks. And Advent simply means the arrival of something or someone important. And in the Christmas season, of course, the Advent, the coming of Christ, is what we celebrate as we near the, the mark of his birth. So we only got two weeks left in Psalms. And so today I wanted to preach on Psalm 139. I planned to do that for quite a while. But then I read over Psalm 131 and I thought, this is a word that I need to hear. I bet it's a word we all need to hear. So I'm going to camp out in Psalm 131, but I encourage you, if you haven't been reading in our plan, go read Psalm 139 because it is an incredible psalm. But in three short verses in Psalm 131, I trust that God has something to share with us today. So Psalm 131, turn over there with me. Three short verses, starting in verse 1, the psalmist writes, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As you do, we do have Kingdom Kids Ministry today. That's for our kiddos who are uh, four years old up through second grade. And our Kingdom Kids workers are going to meet them in the foyer where they're going to have a chance to learn and worship at their level. And then, of course, uh, they're going to our education building where they can be picked up after the service. Today, parents, if you got to grab them before the service, just be aware. The door does lock for safety, so you'll have to make sure you knock loud so that they can come and bring you your kiddo, but a weaned child, Let's think about that when they're running out of here, just, you know, they're all weaned, but none of them are all that quiet either, you know what I mean? Well, let's pray together before we get into what God has for us today. Father God, I thank you for your word and how you have put together, God, uh, scriptures that tell us about you. Scriptures that also tell us about us. God, it's your word to us. So as we come to this psalm, Psalm 131, today, God, we want to hear from you. So speak to us. Challenge us with your word that we might keep in step and be obedient to your calling on our life. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I'll be honest, Psalm 131 also made an impression on me over the summer. I've been reading, I read through Psalms over the summer, and I actually started in reverse and started in 150 and started working my way down to chapter 1. If you've read the Bible a lot over your lifetime, sometimes you got to get a little creative to keep it fresh, try different translations and all sorts of stuff. And so I thought, well, I'm gonna, I've read the Psalms a lot. And I want to start from the back and go forward. And so that's what I did. And that's kind of what God used to get us 
to enter the Psalms as a church is it made such an impact on me reading through the Psalms slowly and prayerfully that I thought we really should do this together. And so that's what kind of got us there. But Psalm 131 stood out to me as I read it, not because it's short, though, you know, that's not, that's not a bad thing. It's some of the most powerful things come in small packages. And so this was, you know, as you saw with the kids down here, pretty incredible to see what God could do through them to bless us. And so a small psalm can do a lot to bless us. And I was reading over this, and, and I guess the thing that really stood out to me at first was this idea of a child who is at peace, at rest, even as it is with its mother. But it's a weaned child. And uh, I remember when we had our first kiddo, Jackson, he was not an easy kid. He was hungry all the time, but he didn't really know how to eat. And if you've ever had that situation where you have a small baby who needs to eat but won't eat, they get real cranky real fast. And a poor little fella, he was cranky a lot. Now, we never, that was the first kiddo, so we didn't know. We just thought all babies are this way. We didn't have, I didn't, I didn't realize, no, we've got like a worst case scenario situation going on here. And then it really was pretty trying and challenging because he was just hungry and he could not get enough food. And he could not get up and go to the fridge and get food now. Now we have a lock on the fridge, a lock on the pantry, I'm not even kidding, so that we have food for everybody, Right? But when you're not weaned, which means a child who is able to eat more than its mother's milk is a child that's able to eat solid food. All you have is that cry, I am hungry. It doesn't come out nice and neat like that. It sounds a little bit different. You know that sound, that screeching sound, I am hungry, feed me. And so I was reading this, I thought about that, a child who has transition from its mother's milk to solid food it has the food it needs but it's not that it's out of the presence of its mother it's with its mother mom is holding the baby as the baby has already been fed and that child is quiet and calm and contented and i just thought about that verse and thought about that verse because if you're like me so much of life doesn't feel that way it's not quiet contentment. It's, it can feel like chaos. Especially in these last few years, it can feel a lot more like chaos than quiet contentment. And I was just thinking about that. And what stood out to me as well is the beginning of that verse. Because that sounds nice and I just wanted to pray, God, just do that for me. Fill me up, burp me, change my diaper, just let me just be a baby and, and not have to do anything. That, wouldn't that be nice if God would just do it all for us and make our life nice and easy and, and he would just calm us down and help us to be okay and nothing's wrong, everything's fine, and just, just keep you nice and calm and content, quieted? Wouldn't it be great if God just did that for us? But what's amazing to me in this verse is the psalmist says, I have, beginning of verse 2, that there's a responsibility on me to deal with the chaos that can be coming up in my life, the chaos that can rise up in my heart and in my mind, that chaos in me, I have some responsibility for. I have a role in this to play. So the psalmist says, I have calmed and quieted myself. 
So as we consider that, I think we have some things we can learn from the psalmist that might help us be like that weaned child, still in the presence of God, but able to chew our own food, so to speak. Able to deal with the chaos of life in the presence of God in such a way that we can be calm and quieted. But it's not automatic. Not only will God not just do it all for us, but it is not automatic. It won't just happen naturally. There is work here for us to do. If we would like a little bit less of a chaotic life, a little bit more of the calm life, it's going to require some effort on our part, which begins with a different way of thinking about our life. And that's what the psalmist lays out in the first few verses and gives that hope at the end. So what does the psalmist point out in the first few verses? Well, he starts with saying, look, part of what it means to have this calm and quiet life where we're just in the presence of God and we're not letting the chaos around us impact us internally, we're able to deal with it and not feel like life is out of control as it begins with realizing that my life is not about me. The very first thing he says, my heart is not proud, Lord. The way the Hebrews thought about the heart was the heart was the center of your emotion, your thinking, and your will. We don't think of it that way. We think of our heart as the seat of our emotions, our mind, our intellect as the seat of our thinking, and, and our hands and our feet are, are the utensils God has given us to act, to carry out our will. But that's not how the Hebrews thought of it. God's people thought of it a little bit differently, inspired by God, I trust. That the heart, the center of your being, without it you would not be alive. The heart was the center of one's feeling and thinking and the center of one's will. He says, it's another way of saying all of me. So he says, from top of the head to my toes, I seek to be humble. And I think maybe the best way to understand humility, and this is something C.S. Lewis pointed out, is that it's not about thinking too little of ourselves, beating ourselves up, pushing ourselves down, demeaning ourselves. It's not about lessening ourselves. It's not about thinking less of ourselves. It's simply about thinking of ourselves less. So it's not about pushing ourselves down. It's about putting God in the center. So he says you want to have a calm and quiet life where the chaos around you doesn't take control. It begins with realizing you're not at the center. How many times does the chaos in me have to do with me not getting what me wants? Anybody else have that problem? How much of the chaos in my life has to do with me not getting what I want? So I get really upset about that, right? Come on, I can't be alone. Somebody, give me a witness. Somebody, anybody, anybody there? Okay, here we go, here we go. Thank you, thank you. Just want to make sure, you know, I just want to, you know, I want to, I want to feel all by myself up here. But that's true for all of us, I think. The chaos we feel often has to do with the fact we don't get what we want. Now, what are we doing? We are placing ourselves at the center of our little universe. And I think a part of the key that the psalmist comes across is if I want to be able to 
have a calm and quieted life. It's going to have to start with his expectation that I should be at the center. I've got to remove me from the center. I cannot be proud. From the top of my head to the bottom of my toes, I cannot be a proud person thinking it's all about me. That is a recipe for chaos. So he begins there. Not an easy thing to do, but humility is a key component to not allowing the chaos around us to affect us. Not not allowing the chaos even within us to control us. And one of the parts of humility, or one of the parts of pride, is thinking of ourselves too often and too much and putting ourselves at the center. And, And sometimes that also means looking down on others. Sometimes it's not just the pride of, there is a, even a biblical good sense of pride, being proud of other people, being proud of the work that God has done in your life. There's, there's a positive sense of pride. We're not talking about that. We're talking about self-centered pride. And, and one way self-centered pride kind of eats out is we begin to look down on others. See, that's what haughty eyes means. It literally means to look down one's nose. I have yet to find a calm and quiet, much less a content and joyful, happy person who is concerned all the time with what other people are doing. Always concerned to criticize and point out where other people are getting it wrong. Not only does the psalmist say, I'm not going to put myself at the center. I'm seeking to be humble, not proud. But he says in the the middle of verse 1, my eyes are not haughty. I am not going to look down my nose at other people. Now that's a tough one too because first on my list for reasons chaos can overwhelm me is when I don't get what I want. But there's a second thing that can kind of create some chaos in my life is when other people don't do what I want, right? When other people aren't acting the way I think they should act, behaving the way I think they should behave, treating me the way I think they should treat me. When they're not doing their life the way I would do their life if I were them, I can get really agitated, really frustrated, really irritated. What does that not sound like? It doesn't sound like being calm and quiet. So the psalmist says here, not only am I not putting me at the center of my world, I'm not putting anyone else at the center either. I'm not giving that place away to another human being. And sometimes God will hit me with this. Why would you allow someone else to control your heart, and your mind. Why are you letting what someone else does impact what you do? We can all be suspect to it, right? But it's good for us to be thinking about it, be aware of it, and say, now wait a second, I'm getting all irritated because they're doing this. If I want to be calm and quiet, I need to return to a different center that isn't me and isn't them. It's returning to the center of having God in charge, making him the most important thing in my life. And so the psalmist shifts to that in the middle of verse 1. God becomes the center. Even when God is in the center, there's some challenges. If you live a God-centered life, there's going to be some questions that come up about God. There's going to be some things you wonder about. God's at the center, but... I don't know about you, but I have found God doesn't always do what I want either. He doesn't always do what I expect. There's some things about God that are mysterious. 
there are some things that God does and there are some things about who he is that I kind of have settled that I probably just will never understand as much as I may want to. Once I put God at the center of my life, then I have to say, he's got to be in charge, not me. And I need to trust that he's the best one to be in charge, not me. I put him at the center and then I question everything he does, everything allows. Then now all of a sudden I'm in the position I was to begin with. I put myself back in the center. Listen to what the psalmist says. I do not concern myself with great matters. Are things too wonderful for me? Just as I can get overwhelmed with what other people are doing, I can get overwhelmed with the things God does that I don't understand. And I can let that be the worry of my heart. I, I can let that be the chaos that, that, that just whips up within me. I can let that be the thing that controls me. It's a lack of trust that God is not only supposed to be at the center, He deserves to be there. He knows what He's doing. I don't know. I see through a glass that is dark, as the Apostle Paul would say. I can only see a part of what God is up to, a part of who he is. There's a lot of mystery in God. He's too big for my little mind to comprehend. And I have to trust, as he is at the center of my life, I have to trust he knows what he's doing. So great matters is actually a way of talking about it. That little phrase is used throughout uh, the Old Testament. It's a way of talking about what God does. Like when God rescued Israel out of Egypt. That's something that God did. He did that out of his character, out of who he is. But that was his action. When, when God uh, sent plagues into Egypt, that was God acting. When he set them free from Egypt, that was God acting. In this case, this is more about King David that would come later on. At least that's who the heading of the song is about. A song of ascent would be a song you sing as you go up to Jerusalem for worship. And then this evidently was either penned by David or it was written by somebody in honor of David. And, and in David's life, what did God do? God used him to defeat the Philistines. And the list could go on. But God is acting in their life. But some of the things God does in our lives, we don't so much like. We don't understand. Why would God close this door of opportunity for me and open it for someone else? Why would God allow this incredible loss in my life when I see other people who are far more sinful still walking on two feet? There could be a very long list of questions attached to this idea of why God does what he does. And, and we've talked about this before. This is not to say we shouldn't talk to God about these things. That we shouldn't ask God hard questions when we don't understand. It's about what we do afterwards. Coming to a place settled, quieted, and calm. That God knows what he's doing. I don't understand. But he understands. I don't know what he's up to. But he knows, and I am trusting that whatever he does is the right thing because of who he is. Now, this is a bit of speculation, but I think that gets to the second part of what the psalmist writes about here. He says, not only do I not concern myself with great matters, but he also says of things too wonderful for me. I wonder if he's not only talking about the choices of God 
but also the character of God. To say, I trust the choices of God, great things, the things he does, because of the character of God, the wonders of God. I can't possibly comprehend all of God's character, just like I can't possibly understand all the decisions he makes, but I know who he is. And if you've been reading along with Psalms, you've been reading the very same things I've been reading, which is that, that God is merciful and his love lasts forever, that he is a forgiving God, that he sees every single little thing we've ever done, and yet he chooses to forgive and love us. That's all in the Psalms, y'all. That's who God is. Because I trust that's who God is, I can also trust what God does, even if I don't understand it. And that way of talking to myself, see, i got to do that. I'll be honest, I have never heard the audible voice of God. If someone came and told me that they had, I don't discount God doing anything. He can do whatever he wants. If he spoke to you audibly, praise God. That's pretty cool. He's just never done that for me. I've never heard the audible voice of God. But I sense his presence. Sense impressing into me truth that I've read in scripture. As I spend time with him, I get a sense of things that I think his Holy Spirit is showing me some things. And, and I just got to tell you, this stuff isn't going to come naturally. It's got to be a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit working in us to remind us of these things. That God is good, therefore everything he does is good, even if you don't understand that. i got to tell myself that in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Working together to remind myself of these things that are true so that I can have a calmed and quieted soul. Every minute of every day will not be calm and quieted. And when the things are raging around us and it's impacting us, or things are raging inside of us and they're impacting us, what can we do? We have a role to play in calming and quieting ourselves. And I think reminding ourselves we're not the center of our universe, reminding ourselves that nobody else deserves that place, so we're not looking down and concerning ourselves too much with what other people are doing, reminding ourselves that God is the one that's the center, and I can trust not only his choices, but his character in my life. And then I think we find that contentment that the psalmist talks about at the end of verse 2. That is the opposite of the chaos. The chaos that wells up within us is saying, you need something you don't have. You need answers you don't have. You need supplies that you don't have. You need other people to act a certain way so that you can have contentment. But godly contentment says, I have God. And that is all I need. To have a quieted soul, that he, him, that is what I truly need. So the psalmist says at the end of all this, I've done this work with the Lord and I find myself as a contented child. I have what I need. Here and remember, the child is still with its mother. We are still with God. It's not finding contentment without God and being our own God. It's finding contentment within God and knowing that He is enough. So, at the end of all this, what's the psalmist say? 
psalmist says, because God is God and we can trust him, means that we have hope. We have hope. It's not wishful thinking. I hope such and such happens. It's not that kind of wishful thinking. It's a confident reliance upon a God that I trust. My hope, and the psalmist says, is not just in God down the road. My hope is in Christ that one day I'll be in heaven with him. The psalmist says, hope in God down the road has to be partnered with a hope in God now. He says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Both in this present moment, knowing that one day all things will be made right, things will become clear to us on the other side of glory when we're in the presence of God. All those questions, all those wonderings, all those things that create some turmoil in us now, we'll understand it all, I think. More importantly, we'll see God more clearly, which is why I think we'll understand it. The challenges of life, the questions we have, I think we'll understand it because we'll be in the presence of God and we'll understand Him completely and fully. And what I get from what the psalmist is saying is because you know that's coming, just hope now. You know you've got that hope coming. So hope in God in the present. A trusting kind of reliance kind of hope here and now. Now, what the psalmist didn't know, what we know, is that God went through great lengths to secure that hope for us. See, there's a reason to be confident. There is a reason to be, trustworthy, to be trusting of God. We have some evidence of God's trustworthiness that the psalmist didn't have. The psalmist had some wonderful things he knew about God. All those things we already talked about. But we know something. We see something in God that he didn't see then. Because after he came and went, Christ came. Why can we hope in God? Because God came to us. God invested in us, invested himself in us, gave himself for us. The Father sent the Son for us. So this is not wishful thinking hope. God has already put the down payment on. And I know that future payment when Christ returns, it's coming. God has already sent Jesus into the world that I might be forgiven and set free from my past and have that glorious future. And I can know that 1,000%. I can totally trust that. Praise God, I can totally trust that because God has already made that down payment. He has already come into this world. He's already experienced life as a human. He's already given his life a payment for my sins. He's already been risen from the dead to show that death could not hold him because he had no sin. He himself was responsible for no sin. He took on the sins of the world, but he was no sinner himself. So in the resurrection, there is hope that this life, the end of this life, that's not all there is. Because of all of that, I have hope in God, not just for the end of my life, 
not just for an eternity, which is huge. But I have hope for God now. Now, if you believe that, don't you think that you would have some quiet calmness in your soul? If you really believed it, if you trusted that. Now, let me make this point. If you're like me, it comes and goes. It's not constant. It's not all the time. You don't always have this wonderful hope and trust in God. It wanes. You're going to have some low moments. You're going to have some tough times. There's going to be moments where you doubt and you question. That's all part of the process of being a human being. But this is part of why it's so important to be here to hear these truths. So that you can be reminded of the things that are true. When we sing, did you know the Bible tells us we don't just sing to God, we sing to one another? Did you know that? We're not worshiping one another. But we're singing truth to one another. Here are things that are true, brother and sister in Christ. This is why when we get up in the morning, we open our Bible and we read it and we talk to God about what's going on in our life. This is why we have Christian friends in our life so that we can confess our sin and have them pray for us. All this is a part of growing in that confidence and in that hope in God so that when chaos is boiling up within us, our chaos is coming all around us, we say, ah, but I know how to quiet my soul. I know how to calm myself. It's in the presence of God reminding myself of things that are true. I am not the sinner. You are not the sinner. He is the sinner. He is God. He's worthy to be in charge. And I trust not only what he does, but I trust who he is. And all of that because I see it so clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. And if I have given my heart to him, then I can be calmed and quieted with that truth. He loves me. He's with me. He will never give up on me. I have a future that nothing can take away. And it's better than anything I can imagine. And I just want to say, we got to remind ourselves of those things. And as we do, I believe we'll experience this calmness, this quietness that the psalmist did. And that's what God wants for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this incredible psalm. Sometimes it's just good to know, Lord, that we are not the only ones that feel the chaos boiling up within us, that feel the chaos swirling around us. We're not the only ones. For thousands of years, your people, all of humanity, have struggled with finding peace, a quiet and calmed soul. God, even as we have our work to do, as we see the psalmist pointing out, we know that you are at work. Even here right now, what you are saying to the people in these pews, how you are working in their lives, how you are pointing out things that are true that they need to hear. God, we thank you that that's the kind of God you are. You want to be involved in the details of our lives. You care about us at that level. And I just pray those that are sensing you speak to them, they would hear that, that you are speaking to them because you love them. You care about them. And if there are any here that doubt that, that they would just look to your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. That is the evidence, the greatest evidence, that you do 
care for sinners like us. And that our past does not have to determine our future. God, thank you for being that kind of God. And I pray that you would secure in each heart this morning the things that we have talked about, that they are true. Because you are true and you put them here. God, we would come to you and do our part as you do your part. And we might experience that stillness and quietness in our soul. This is what I pray for us today. It's in the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. Well, I hope, I hope God has used uh, these faltering words to stir something up in you. He's pointing out some areas of chaos in your life that are kind of taking control. And that there may be something in what we've looked at from the scriptures today that has pricked your heart. And you just, listen, just talk to God about it. Just talk to him about it. He already knows he's the one that's pricking your heart, right? He's the one that's moving. He's the one that's talking to you. He's the one that's got his hand on your shoulder because he wants you to hear it. And he wants you to talk to him about it. That's our invitation is to talk to God. You can call it prayer, but it's just talking to God about whatever He's put on your heart. Don't leave here without talking to God about whatever it is He stirred up in you. That you might take what He has taught you and leave this place and live a little bit more of that quietness and stillness that He desires for us. Because one day, this will all be over. The challenge, the struggles of life are going to disappear. It's going to be in our rear view. We're just going to have that great and glorious future ahead of us. And we're going to sing about that. And we're going to look forward to that day. Even as we hope for the future, we are hoping in the present. So I want to invite you to stand with me as Jay and the team leads us in I'll Fly Away. Let's sing this together.